is a vital part of my well-being. I can be honest with her. And though in many ways our childhoods were different, with her being six years older than me, we still obviously share something that almost no one else in the world shares with me. The truth is, when I feel like a terrible parent or a lousy partner, or even when I go to Lowe's to buy all the discounted dying plants from the garden center, I call my sister to lament or to celebrate. I feel fortunate beyond measure to have her. Today's episode feels like it took me forever to edit. I wanted to have it done right at the beginning of the summer so I could not think about it and take a break from the podcast and just be present to summer. Well, my kids start school next week, so that obviously didn't happen. I was feeling bad week after week after week this summer about not doing this, and I'd started writing an opening for you, listener, as some sort of apology. I felt that I owed you an explanation for why it has been a while between episodes. And though I am so fond of all of you, or at least who I imagine you to be in my head, I don't owe you that. And sometime when you have time to listen and I have time to put out these episodes, then we meet, we connect in your ears. And we do it without apologizing for what we've been doing in the meantime. And that's the thing about my sister, too. I don't really have to explain why I didn't respond to her voicemail or why I don't even listen to voicemails anymore or why my house is messy or whatever else I feel the need to offer excuses for. My sister and honestly many of my friends offer a loving kindness that says, without explanation, it's good to be with you now. Today's guests are also sisters and actually one of today's guests is my sister-in-law. Mary Chase, my sister-in-law, is married to my brother, and I asked her to be on the podcast because she is a parent, an artist, a military spouse, and has parented two children while one of them was being treated for leukemia. It seemed a lot to carry, and it seemed that she is holding some wisdom about it. So when I asked her, she said to me, Claire, my sister has been such a part of my parenting. I want her to be part of it, too. And so here we are. Mary Chase Dahl is sister to both Rachel, that's me, and Claire, uh, a movement artist and mother of two living in Washington, D.C. For 20 years, she has traveled around the world to 26 countries performing, producing work, and creating a new sense of home for her family over nine moves as a military spouse. Her artistic work celebrates questions and explores how the divine is found in the normal and the lived experience and the communities we move through. You can learn more about her at chasedance.com. Mary is a cis woman, a white, and is white, hetero, and middle class. Her sister, Claire Chase, PhD, is sister to Mary as well as parent and partner. Claire developed the resilience thinking process for businesses and people who build them. She is an experienced research and strategy professional utilizing human-centered design approaches. You can check out her website at resiliencebydesign.net or their podcast at Meet the Moment Podcast. Claire is a cis woman, white, hetero, and middle class living in the Denver area. Thank you guys. I'm really glad to have you on the podcast and... 
Just a word about how this starts. It's a little bit bumpy. I had to edit out a section where I had Mary and Claire introduce each other just to keep things under time. So we begin with Claire describing the value of her sisterhood with Mary. And I kept it because I think it captures a lot of what is so and can be so valuable about sisterhood. Um, so it starts a little wonky, but I think it is a lovely, but I still wanted to capture what Claire said. And I think it's a lovely way to start. Um, and tell me what kind of sister she is for you. Like what, what is her role in your life? Mary is my older sister. <laughs> and, um, so we're six years apart. And, and that means that we have, we had an opportunity to be only children and in the same household at the same time. Um, and we just had them at different parts of our lives. <laughs> so, uh, so I think that that was really formative because we have different experiences of our childhoods. And yet, this commonality that is unshakable, that is a, a bond that will never go away. And, and that means that we can always, no matter the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations that we might have, have along the way, uh, we'll always come back to each other. We're still our, like a firm base. Who are you parenting? Who are you parenting with? And how did your children come into your life? Mm, I am parenting Anne, who is 13. Annie, as she likes to be called, and Isaac, who is seven. And I'm parenting with my husband, life partner, best friend, Tim. And um, we are parenting together in a way that is very team oriented. Annie and Isaac came into this world um, entirely um, by by prayer and choice and were wanted from years and years and years before they were here physically. So they are the, the best and hardest thing I've ever made. Yeah. And they are my biological <laughs> children. Yes. Yes. And Claire, do you want me to re-ask the question or did you were able to hold it? I was able to hold it. Oh. Okay. I have two daughters and one is six and one is three. And I am parenting with my husband, Chris. Um, the girls came into the world. I mean, I, I have to, you know, I, I feel very inclined to be honest that I had, whenever they, when I, I realized I was pregnant with Evie, I had maybe the month prior let go of the possibility that like, let, let go of like the future that I would be a mother in that way that I would be able to have biological children. Um, and, and so, so each of them feels like it's just this tremendous blessing and like one of, you know, I can count, like, I always think about miracles as people who've come into my life. And I definitely feel, I think of them in that way. And I'm not trying to sugarcoat parenting at all, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I think that that's like at the core because I, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to have kids um, and had been, you know, had just been gone through that process of, of just kind of grieving whatever future that was going to be. And so that then whenever they, they arrived and it, it makes my experience, I think as a parent, one that always brings that forward too. 
that I don't take them for granted, even whenever they're screaming at me and hitting me, <laughs> you know, and, and having this like, you must feel my pain, my wrath of my, of how I'm feeling at this moment. Um, ugh, I still try to tell them like, this is still the best job I've ever had. <laughs> Maybe that's like me convincing myself too. <laughs> <laughs> But sometimes the coworkers are just hard to take. Yes. <laughs> and then, so how how is parenting and COVID going for you guys, right? Like the pandemic is changing as we speak, but like it's been a really intense year and change for all of us. So tell me for your families, what are the strengths and struggles and have there been, have there been gifts in it for you and where are the losses and where are they, where are you grieving them and how are you? How are you doing? Um, I, I can go first. So we moved during COVID and, right, yeah. um, and that's a weird thing to have to do to um, pack up and move where you are, where you've been in quarantine for months um, to move to a new place where you can't meet new people. You can't do all the things that you normally do to help build your community and your sense of identity in this new location. Um, so that brought, that just was like a suction, like a vacuum that brought us together, the, the four of us together. We sp have spent more time together in the last 15 months than I think we spent time together in their, in the kids' whole lives. Um, because of a variety of things, because of my career, because of Tim's career, because, um, the kids like to be active and participating in, in organizations outside of, um, of our family unit. So when all we had was a family unit, um, things were intense in that, in the way that um, ended up being really beautiful and really good. Um, the loss of, of um, friends and the sense of home and building a new home during pandemic has probably been the hardest thing I would say um, for the family and for as a parent, um, but it also makes you really realize the families, the people that are willing to step up and become your community during such a tragic time, you know that that is true and real and, and they really are caring people that wanna see um, my, my kids be successful. So um, I think that that's really it. Whenever we did our pre-interview, Mary, you talked about the experience of like, you know, being a family that moves a lot because of Tim's in the military. And one of your practices when you guys move is to like immerse yourself, find people like immediately. And COVID, it sounds like has inevitably changed that. Have there been places where you have been able to do that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so I think because of my personality and what I do for a living, my, um, my sense of like, well, we got to, we got to produce this. We got to get this done. So even if this is the, this is the hardest time we'll ever do it, we still have to like make friends and have a sense of ourselves here. So um, yeah, I mean, I just did it. I just walked door to door to the neighbors to introduce myself and gave my phone number and said, you know, my kids. And, and then what we went to the playgrounds when the playgrounds opened immediately started introducing. I mean, Annie jokes and Tim, Tim and Annie have this inside joke. That's not now inside. Um, that um, beware, wherever you go new, mom will have a brunch date by the end of it. And, and that's funny and it's true though, because yeah. 
if if I have been tasked in this lifetime to um, to hold up my family and to nurture them and love them in the way that I think best suits them, then I'm the person that needs to pull people together so that my people, my family, can have what they need in times of sadness or in times of joy or COVID has created um, this like opportunity for me to to seek out the people that I think will be our lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. And that's been really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Claire? How is COVID parenting going for you guys and your crew? Yeah. So I, um, so I have this fundamental belief and it comes through my work and through my life that crisis is a magnifying glass to existing issues. So that meant that it was a magnifying glass to our ability to be connective and that my family has find a lot of energy and just being together. And so there was some relief and the kids not really asking to play with other kids, really just enjoying each other and, um, and that like they could just kind of, you know, we could watch them and be part of it. And then there's also this other side of it that was really difficult because uh, we didn't have any other outlets. So what happened was, so again, crisis magnifies pain points. I know that sometimes I'm so focused on other people that I don't pay as close attention to the things that I need. And that meant that in this moment where all of our childcare went away, that, and I'm an entrepreneur, that I had to like change my whole not only my expectations, but my mindset about like what it means to, to do work. How do I set aside time when the sources of income had stopped um, because of COVID? Like all of these things that really were things that I just hadn't worked out before. And so it was like, okay, it's like a gradual, okay, I think you're going to do this. I think you're going to do this. And then everything crashes and burns and I have no office anymore and I have no sense of professional self. And that affects my parenting. Mm-hmm. Your <laughs> ego has to change and mold and right deflate and reinflate and such. Yeah, and it means to redefine not only my personal self, but but redefine what it means to be a good parent. Mm-hmm. Like I thought, like a good parent meant that I could give my children the best possible education. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and sometimes that's not me, and most of the time it wasn't me. Um, and then all of a sudden it's me. I'm not just giving them a good example of what it means to pursue your goals or do X, Y, or Z, but I need to show up for them differently. And I think that that's what I really learned and gained. So we're all from the same small town. Will you guys tell me a bit, just like in a breath, about your religious and spirituality sense that you took from childhood, but more, more in a more grounded sense, like where you identify now in your spirituality. Uh, Claire, why don't you just keep going? And then okay. growing up, we we're definitely a very evangelical Christian foundation and also questioning. So we also had this like constant, like we need to be paying attention, like God is more than these things. Um, and so I'm thankful that I had that balance, you know, of the community of the church, but also the at home foundation of of saying that it can be different and there are other things that people believe and those things are are okay maybe they're all connected um they and they are all connected <laughs> so i think that that's what i take with me now is is yes i'm i'm, I'm a christian but i'm very careful to say that like my christianity doesn't mean it's not like elitism 
it's saying mm-hmm. this is what I'm choosing. This is the approach. This is the perspective I'm choosing to take on it. Recognizing that all of these other ways of believing and seeing something bigger than yourself are also valid. And I think that that's, that's really how I find myself today. But it does impact my ability to find a church, like church community. Ultimately, I question if, if other people don't feel safe in this environment, then is my presence being complicit to oppression? And really, that's the heart of it. And Mary? I think as a child, I thought of church and spirituality as being community. My spirituality and my relationship with God was directly related to building relationships with people that are true and good and allowing them to be who they are, whoever they are, whatever, whatever path that their life takes. I felt like more so than anything, it was about friendships and a sense of doing good for the world and doing good for um, people who are less fortunate. Um, I mean, our parents really tried to raise us with the, with the knowledge that being growing up in a Christian community is only one way. And there are so many other ways, which made it really easy to, as a, as a spiritual person, be able to grow. It sounds like you, neither of you had this really strict sense of black and white worldview that like this one way or no way you know we were taught those things I just never believed them so tell me how if that's like the foundation and where you place yourself somewhat now how did parenting or has parenting shaped your sense of what is holy or sacred or who God is what's the how does parenting come alongside these identities Becoming a parent, you realize right away that um, each person is born with with the divine within them in a different way than you do with any other experience of a child in your life, I would say. Like all of a sudden, I mean, I, I was an aunt before I was a mother or I was, you know, around, I babysat babies before, you know, but, but when I was a mother, when I became an Annie ma- gave me the privilege and honor of being her mother. I saw and felt and believed immediately how this tiny little baby had so much more going on than just her physicality, even from those first moments. And by being able to recognize that, it just opened up the possibilities for understanding how the divine lives in the easy and the hard, the divine lives in the sublime and the um, stunningly beautiful. The, the, the divine lives in, in um, the, the poop in the diaper and, mm-hmm. and the giggle and, and being able to be present enough to see it and feel it and, and be it uh, in those moments as a young mother, as a new mother um, was my, sometimes my biggest challenge. I was in graduate school and Tim was in Iraq. I mean, to bring a child into the world during such a sort of crazy time in in our lives was the best thing I ever did (laughs) um, because it gave me a sense of perspective. It really makes you go, you know what? What's most important right now is um, what is right in front of me. And that's this beautiful child who needs to be fed or that's this beautiful child that um, that says the saying mama. Why I became Catholic 
had everything to do with parenting. I mean, I, that's, that's so clear to me. I knew that I didn't want, I didn't want it to be like, well, are we going to baptize that? What, what about confirmation? Or what? I didn't want to do that. I just didn't, had no interest in that. Of all the things that I knew we were going to have to do in our lives with me being an artist and Tim being a military officer and us moving and all of that, the one thing I knew I wanted was to make sure that, well, I can become Catholic because I gained something from that. It doesn't change who I am or what I believe or, or who I love or any of that. So sure, I'll become Catholic because that will be easier. And, um, and my the priest that I had uh, when I became Catholic as an adult was Franciscan. Mm -hmm. So um, I, there's, there's more to that. There's a lot of reading I did along sure. the way. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. What about you, Claire, where, how has parenting changed your sense of what is sacred or who God is? Yeah. I think that what I, um, so actually this is just like came to me as Mary was talking was that that really it's been a it's been a journey from before like when we um my dad passed away 10 years ago and just you know like finally like having this wake-up call to say like God is complex like and spirituality is complex and um and it's not clear-cut everything is a surprise like like there's no guarantees there are promises of joy and heartache you don't just get one, like you don't just get happiness. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I think that is part of like what, like the beauty of life is its complexity. And I think that that's, that's what parenting has taught me is that the more nuance of that complexity, this to the realization that my children are not me. And, and even though we might feel so connected that they do not think the way that I think. And that's enhanced my spirituality. That's enhanced my understanding of God. That's enhanced my ability to see our connectedness and yet individual, that we can be both. That parent image of God, which I find sometimes like problematically patriarchal, but it sounds like there's, whether that's an image you're using actively or not, mm -hmm. there's like a robustness in that sort of idea now of if God is somehow a parent figure, you also get to be an individual with your own story and complexity in some, in some sort of dynamic or relationship. Right. Right. Um, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I, I do think it has been a, a, a very subtle shift through time. Like becoming a parent is to say, like, is this placing God as the, as this as father, <laughs> but as just like omnipresent as just like in everything and of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and I think that that's been really clear through parenting is being like, oh, parents, parents don't know everything. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so how can we like put, put this, you know, something larger than us as even into one space, into one definition when it is, it is complex. And I think it's interesting. It's like, and Mary talking to you, I think that's why I've been okay with dealing with, oh, for a foundation, but we're going to still figure out the church part. Like I'm okay with that complexity because I think that our relationships with God are, are complex yeah. I think too, as a parent, I realized that I was less, I had an idea that, that we would raise our children with a certain way and for ease, but actually by choosing the ease, I, I recognize now that it's so important to Tim and I to allow the kids to figure it all out on their own all the time. 
and ask the questions and and be able to recognize that they can make their own choices in every step of the way in their spiritual lives. So we do things like ask the kids, do you want to go to church and allow them to have an opinion and not to say that they get to decide, but just to, to let them know that we value what their thoughts are. And sometimes church means a hike in the mountains for us. And sometimes church means a no screen Sunday with a big breakfast and a lot of fun and laughter. That's different than certainly the way I thought it would be. Like I had this image in my mind that, well, we would, you know, even if we teach the kids that all religions are valid and all belief systems are real and true, um, we'd still go to church every Sunday, but that's has proved to not be true. It's important for Isaac and Annie, in my opinion, it's, it's important to me as a parent that Isaac and Annie um, have the space to question and doubt and disagree and also fully embrace, agree, and love those things that I see for myself as being divine and true in the truth of the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Um, that is vastly different than the way their father, my partner, sees and understands and lives his spirituality. I think both of you are expressing um, profoundly non-anxious responses. There's just not a lot of anxiety about like, oh my gosh, who, where will they practice? Who will they become? What's going on? And I, I read the New York times magazine. There was an article about Ken Burns. There was a line that he said, which was like, that doubt is the engine of faith. And it's like what propels it forward. And I have found that to be such a helpful metaphor of just like, that's the motion forward. And that certainty is actually the, um, the deadening of faith. And it, it, you know, it wasn't new, a new idea for me. It was just such clear language of like, yes, that's been exactly my experience. I, I lean into that a lot. And that's, it seems to be what you're saying something to the sense of Mary. I just think partially because of who I parent with, anytime anybody says um, something is absolutely for sure that I'm going to question it (laughs) because how do you know? And what is, where is your truth coming from? And how is it driving your decision to be so certain about this Yeah, uh, is powerful. But that's something that I've learned from Tim. So Claire, I want to hear about like resilience and parenting for you. So I definitely want you to like unpack what you mean by resilience professionally, but then if you could pull that into what, yeah, what does that mean in parenting? And honestly, like, I think it's a beautiful transition because, um, I think certainty is, um, uh, like stagnancy for anything. So like, and it's interesting because I also will say things with confidence Um, and my husband's like, oh, is that happening? I'm like, no, I don't know. And I think it's like, because uncertainty is always that, like (laughs) uncertainty is always close behind certainty. But anyway, uh, resilience thinking is, is basically asking us to be ongoing students and designers of our, our environment, but it does shift the definition of what it means to be a student as changing or learning from recalling information or just being like a, a filing cabinet of all of the things, all the opinions, all the perspectives, all the information that we've received uh, and to said map it, uh, to say like, how are these things connected? How are they coexisting? What are we learning from their existence? Um, what are we learning from the connections across them? And I think that if we 
the idea is that if we shift that, then we find opportunities to take action that transform us that to the future state that we desire for ourselves. Okay, I, or, need like yeah. a, I need a concrete yeah. example here. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yes, like, I'm, okay. I'm getting lost in abstractions. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the idea is that we are, if you think about just in terms of parenting, okay. um, if that has no certainty that it's like the best example of how um, nothing stays the same, our kids are agents of their own desires, um, they will do anything. And uh, uh, earlier this, maybe it was even last fall, my two-year-old at the time, we she had a couple of days off of school. And so we'd gone to a playground and there was dog poop on the ground. And she kind of looked at, looked at it. I didn't think anything of it. I was like helping her down the slide. And she goes up over to the dog poop and just like puts her foot above it. And she, then she looks at me and I was like, Julia, don't step in that dog poop. Uh, and she's like, oh, I want to step in the dog poop. And, and I'm like, no, 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 I drag, like, drag her, like pick her up and move her. And she'd go on the slide and go about her day. Um, and then like the next day she's learning, she's potty training. So she's poops in the potty. And then she has a stool there. She turns around and I've like gone to grab some and come back and she's getting ready to step into the toilet. Okay, so like our kids, they're wild cards. Literally have no idea what they're thinking, why this was a thing that um, she like wanted to do like two days in a row, step and shit. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. But I have to realize that, okay, this is an interesting connection. Is she just, is she like, what's going on here? And what are the other pieces that are happening around her, this uh, toilet training and her understanding her body, understanding what it means, understanding that animals are doing this too. Uh, and to get, just like map it, like to say, mm. and we're doing this all the time. I'm not saying this is like a revolutionary concept, but we don't always think about it as like, oh, this is like the next step. It's no, I'm gonna reprimand you for doing this thing rather than talking to her about like, and asking her questions. Well, what, what are you thinking about here? Like, why do you want to step in this? Like the mm -hmm. consequences that you get wet or that you have dog poop on you, or this is the, the next step. And then find the opportunity to kind of allow her to share that story with Chris or with like other people um, so that it becomes her learning opportunity. And that empowers her to say like, oh, I can be curious about things. Um, yeah. It sounds like also the parent has the opportunity to do the same thing, like yeah. to stop the reactivity and say, I noticed this, this connection. I was curious about my child instead. Like, so, and then can share, like, look at me parenting and not just a reactive way. Like, yeah. huh. and, and honestly, we make mistakes along the way. And that's why it's like your student and a designer, because designers are okay with mistakes. They prototype, they like, I think that they're a great example because mm. they're not so worried about getting it wrong. Um, and and obviously in parenting, you don't want to get it wrong, but there's, there is room for trial and error. I mean, we're human. And if that's what we're trying to teach our kids, then why not say like, we're going to try this thing, come along with us. Um, and, and just be honest about that. I mean, I, I, think I mean, that forgiveness, when you receive yeah. forgiveness from your kids. It's like profound too, right? We're, we are going to stumble along together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's harder, of course, like whenever your child is tantruming and they feel shame and they worry like you're not going to like them or love them because they've done something wrong. And, and that's, that's a lot harder, but it's can use the same process. Just like we would, we could make, you know, whatever kind of like the next step is in any part of our lives. I think that we can utilize it in parenting too. And you feel like you are utilizing it in parenting. 
I think that I have to actively put that hat on. Mm-hmm. And that is the, the, I think that's why it's so powerful is because that's not the way that we like thought we should go about things. Like whenever I think like when my daughter is, is having a hard time, I think of my mom or other elders in my life who like, who makes sense. Like your child should not be talking to you that way. And um, and then I think like, I need to address that thing rather than the long-term, oh, this is about how she feels so guilty about what she's done. And so she's fighting me because she feels so uncomfortable with the feelings she's having. And that long-term helping her realize like these feelings are normal and, and that doesn't change how we feel about you. That that's whenever I'm like, okay, if this is this, this can work. It's just, it's a longer road, but that's resilience is a process. It is a long road. It's not about the immediate band-aid. Yeah. And it's also like a super intense road, right? Like when you yeah. go to work and do resilience thinking, you arrive, you, you, you get to probably work in committees and teams and like think right. things through and parenting right. doesn't allow for any of those boundaries. It makes me actually think of like the Jesuit tradition of like doing an examine at the end of the day, like yeah. that, that, and like, how do you integrate pa- resilience parenting? It's like, for me, that's what I would have to do. And like the best of my parenting is at the end of the day, being able to be like, here's what I did well. Here's what I'd like to do better at. Here's like, what's their language? Desolations and consolations, I think Jesuits like to use. Um, but yeah, and um, that, reflective, that reflective piece is huge. But it only, it's only big, like the learning or the reflection is, is only um, useful if you take action on it. If yeah. you then take whatever you've learned into the next day. And I think that that's why it's okay to make mistakes. But as long as you're, you, you do move forward, you do need to transform. We can't stay stagnant. Yeah. Tell me about resilience and love. I was talking to Derry Barrage and it was really his definition of resilience was love. And because he said that love is, is not perfection. Love is just a continuous effort and engagement. And I think that's what Mary was describing about, you know, her kids always engaging that it's not void of conflict, but it's about seeing one another and engaging, engaging with that other and really, you know, asking questions, saying that you are visible to me and I am responding to you. That's resilience. I see things are happening. I am aware and I'm responding. I'm not just being a silent observer. Yeah. I'm nimble in this relationship right here's here's something about parenting and spirituality that i think happened today my children fight all the time and they love each other fiercely Mm -hmm. and there are things that they know they know if they they say this one word or do this one thing the other one will just blow up um and so you know we intentionally when we sit down to dinner we definitely during covid we sit down to dinner every night Um, we intentionally do not allow them to sit next to each other. They don't even sit across the table from each other. They sit, you know, catty corner. So today I get home and they are sitting right next to each other and not just like next to each other table, but they're like squished together next to each other eating lunch. And I was like, what's going on? Like, no, nothing. I said, Isaac, scoot away. You're going to start fighting. No, we're not. Whatever, whatever. Five minutes later, Mm -hmm. the fighting begins. And and I don't even know because it ended with me upstairs. I heard stuff happening downstairs. But 
you that's the same i feel like that's the same thing about um when we're you see it's like a tunnel vision you see it coming you know you know you need to turn you know you need to change and you but you're it's like a magnet you stick through it and what i'm loving to see is what comes on the other side sometimes is terrible but sometimes it's holy it's full of grace like getting through the worst part that the deepest valley of a fight or of a misunderstanding with the kids they come out in a different place with each other and and then sometimes that then the next couple of days after that are full of laughter and lightness and love it you know right. when that disconnection know. is like so the Girl. overt disconnection makes space for an authentic reconnection that's really yeah. real i mean i think that's what's so toxic about passive aggressiveness is actually that it's like it's not overt disconnection and so it's really hard to repair when like okay let's just let's just have this conflict so that we can repair what is yeah. actually disconnected that yeah. i find very helpful i mean i also find it very threatening so my biggest fear both as a parent and as a spouse is avoidance when, mm -hmm. when like two people just sort of pass through the space, pass through the house, pass through the week. And I am so blessed that so far in my kids' lives that they don't do that to each other. Mm -hmm. So I want to hear Mary about how your experience of being a parent and being a dancer have been overlapped. So yeah, I, I want to hear about some of that, that sense for you. Yeah. Well, being pregnant was my favorite time to be dancing. Truly, truly my being pregnant and dancing was amazing. I know that's not the same for everyone, um, but there's something about allowing nature to do what nature does that I didn't have control and I shouldn't try to have certain levels of control that I normally would in my career to have over the physicality of my body um, and just to, to be and to um, feel the beauty of that and feel very blessed in it. Um, so dancing um, with Annie and Isaac um, were different, totally different because when Annie was, uh, when I was pregnant with Annie, I was in the height of my career. And actually some of the best dancing I did was after um, Annie was born just because of what was happening in our lives and my opp the opportunities that came about. Um, what that means though, from a, just a very physical point of view was um, to let go of, as a dancer and as a choreographer, to let go of the understanding of what I thought I knew because I knew that I was in a new body. And I loved that. I, talking about being a student, Claire, like I got to relearn what it meant to, I mean, I had all this history and knowledge of technique and artistry for years and years. And, and then all of a sudden, I was a new way of moving. My center of gravity had shifted. My physicality was shifting. My, my carefulness, and in many ways, you're much more flexible. Your hips are opening up. Those are wonderful things for a dancer, but then you have to be careful. I had um, uh, my OBGYN when I was pregnant with Annie said, I need you to stop doing so much ab work. You're going to make your um, delivery more difficult if you don't learn how to relax. <laughs> so that was interesting because my whole career had been sort of the opposite of like pay attention and be have control and so that was really nice dancing when i was pregnant with isaac we were living overseas it was much more of a introspective private time um, mm -hmm. 
and and it was similarly beautiful but also I have these amazing videos of Annie and I dancing together while I was pregnant with Isaac that are in some ways more important than any other things dancing and spirituality and parenting there's no certainty so being able to to see in the moment of letting go what I thought was supposed to happen or what I wanted what I wanted what I thought I wanted for myself and recognizing that um, it's truly out of my control and I will be better for it if I'm able to let it go I'm terrible at that, of letting things go. I have this idea that I want and um, and I'm growing constantly with that because as a parent, you can't, you can't, their kids are not gonna do what you ask them to do exactly the way you ask them to do it. In the, your mind, you have this idea of what you want and it never happens exactly as you want. And usually it's better because it doesn't happen exactly the way you want. And I think that that's the same in the choreographic process. Thank you. I want to unbutton the conversation just a little bit and ask you each to share a story of a moment in parenting that really broke you or shook you. It doesn't have to be your darkest moment and how you were resilient in that. Well, um, parenting a healthy child um, when your other child is not healthy is got to be the hardest thing I've ever done. Will you share about that, Mary? Yeah. It, it, you don't uh, have to, if that feels like private. Oh, I mean, um, so when Isaac was 19 months, he was diagnosed with leukemia and he um, was such a strong little one and uh, made it through. And we have now celebrated two years of his survivorship. So um, five years from uh him being a baby, having leukemia to, um, to now, uh, three years of, of intense treatment. And, and while that was hard, and while that was um, some of the darkest things that you'd ever, ever uh, imagine a parent to have to go through, uh, I think what was harder was being able to be so, be, having the ability to be present and fully capable of loving the healthy child in the way that she, that the way Annie needed and giving her the attention and, and um, respect and sense of herself and independence and responsibilities that she deserved um, while being very um, pulled to lift up and, and um, pay attention to the sick child. And so I think that for me was um, uh, was the biggest learning experience that I've ever had as a parent is to recognize, um, I already knew that my two children were very different and needed different things from me, but also to recognize that um, I, needed, uh, I needed a lot of grace and a lot of support from both of you, from our families, from my community. Um, but I also just, um, I, I needed the grace of God <laughs> day in and day out to help me through that. And Annie was the most gracious, she is the most gracious kid and will always um, give the benefit of the doubt and, um, and always be forgiving. But sometimes that was the hardest thing was to sell, tell her to stop being forgiving, stop letting everyone sort of 
you know, shift you around, like, tell us what you need. And she didn't have the tools to do that. She was mm -hmm. seven when, um, when Isaac got sick. And so um, being able to learn from professionals and from uh, people that we love, family members, community members, um, how to be that kind of parent was, was really good was really powerful. And um, I truly believe that both of my kids, whatever they decide to do in their lives, that time in their life will really have colored um, at least their understanding of themselves in the world. Um, maybe, hopefully not, they won't, hopefully they won't remember all the parenting nitty gritty things, but um, I hope that it's remembered with uh, a sense of growth and love and dignity and not just the sad, sad time in our lives. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Claire? The example that, that came to my mind first was fairly recent. Um, we went to the doctor for a COVID test. So we can go back to school and, um, and it was just, me and my older daughter and the doctor, you know, didn't cross any lines, but just was a little too in our faces, touching the buttons on Evie's sweater. And, and it just made me feel really uncomfortable. And I could tell that Evie was uncomfortable. And it violated our comfort. Mm -hmm. And I didn't say anything in that moment. And I think that, that, that my reflection on that felt very broken because mm -hmm. what, because my, the safety of my kids is like the number one thing for me I know that, that I need to put, put their safety first, but then in the moment where you're confronted with something that it's not so clear, that's in that gray area that obviously makes us both feel very uncomfortable. I realized that I needed to not just like play along with and be, um, or pleasant to, to communicate with. I needed to stand up and I did it. And I think that that's, uh, even though it was such a minor example, it was a light bulb and it allowed for a conversation with Evie to say, we do need to stand up and we both need to work on it to speak our truth. It's a small moment that has a profound impact. Right. Cause it has a bigger implications for her right. capacity to name her agency over her body. Right. I have learned you're supposed to play along, mm -hmm. just smile and you think whatever you want and how that gets in the way of of really showing people who you truly are, but also demonstrating your agency, demonstrating your value, demonstrating your worth. And, and I really think I've learned that through parenting hmm. um, solely because whenever I was in graduate school and had Evie and, and one of my, I think Evie was like three or four months old. And one of my professors said, okay, you spent time on your family. Now you need to spend time on your work. And, and I thought, Ooh, let doesn't feel good. Um, that's not reality. And, and it made me realize in that moment that, that the way other people determine my worth or define it, like especially in these professional or academic realms is not the actual definition of my worth or my value. And I only learned that from being a parent because my relationship to, to my daughters and to their safety and security and, and their own understanding of their value is way more important than any other definition that can be placed on me. And I think that that's like where the, the divine, like what Mary said earlier comes out, the divine in our children is, is that they are the ultimate teachers. 
I think parenting demands some sense of meaning making. So as a closing question, do you guys have a small piece of advice or wisdom at the intersection of parenting and spirituality? One of my favorite ways to offer opportunities for my children to grow and learn when there's a moment where they there's consequences for their actions, something that I know our parents did for us, but also that I see true success with my kids is to ask them what they think the consequence of something should be. I think that God is always asking us that. I think that that's that. I mean, I think that the divine is always saying, well, do whatever the heck you want. Do whatever you want. And there will be consequences. But the consequences that the divine gives upon me in, in any moment are sometimes uh, not as hard as the consequences that I give myself. And so finding grace in, in, for myself and for my kids, but also allowing them to have that sense of self-agency, self-efficacy of like, okay, you hit your sister. What do you think is the right um, choice right now? And um, many times what the kids choose for themselves is way harder than perhaps I would have done. And I think that's constantly what I'm learning all the time is from the divine too. Thank you. Claire? It's going back to just that clear sense of our own value and our own ability to, to be loved. And, and I think that we are so often give it to others. And I think that like, to me, that's the connection to God is that, you know, God loves us all, but that includes myself. And I think that include, and includes parents and that we really have to see that love for ourselves in order to fully share it with our kids. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. I hope you end it.